Hello, welcome back to the Female Guides Requested Podcast, and Happy Wednesday. This is your host Tingting, and I'm back to sunny Las Vegas. Today, in episode thirteen, our guest is Crystal Hardison. I have adored Crystal's work and efforts towards creating space for climbers of color. These past summer, I was excited to work for the organization. Climbers of Color, in which she had put her heart and soul, and of course, I couldn't miss the chance to meet her and interview her. Crystal is a second-generation Haitian American and of Irish descent. She lives in Seattle, Washington, with her life partner Keith, who also adores climbing and traveling. She currently gives most of her DEIJ time in climbing to an affinity group in Washington called Climbers of Color. DEIJ means diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Crystal and her partner developed the Rock Instruction Curriculum, and she serves as director of Rock Instruction, Rock Guide, and in any other capacity the organization requires. Through her work with COC, she hopes to encourage climbers to become and continue to be leaders in their communities, while bringing multiple perspectives into the sport of climbing. In this episode, we talked about why and how she devoted herself to affinity work, where we can find resources to better our cultural competency. Her dreams to help climbing instructors to not only provide instruction but also know how to provide space for participants of different backgrounds. I asked about her proudest moment and what she hoped listeners would take away from this episode. Her answers were thoughtful and beautiful. I can't wait to share this episode with you all. Now, please enjoy. Star.、Okay. Yeah. Hi, Crystal. Hi, Tingting.、Uh, yes.、Uh, welcome to the show. I'm pretty excited to have you. Can you pronounce your last name again for me? Yes, Huddleston. Huddleston. Huddleston.、Okay. I know that we know each other because of climbers of color, based、mm-hmm. in Washington or yes. Seattle. Seattle. Or Seattle. Okay. Western Washington. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit about climbers of color? And did you? Were you the one that who started this organization? So, Climbers of Color has been going strong since twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Wow, six years. Yes, yes.、Uh, the Rock Side is not that old. Originally, it was founded by Mariko Ching, Don Wen, and、um, one other, two other people who are not involved anymore. Right. And they were in Seattle. They're in Seattle. I see.、Yes. So the the whole thing started、yes. in Seattle. Yes, correct. Um, and so the mountaineering programs have been going since about twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, right?、Uh, outdoor mountaineering, and then they started adding people of color climb nights to the gyms in twenty nineteen, and、okay. that's when Keith and I, my partner Keith and I, started becoming involved. We went to a climb night, and Mariko was like, "Hey, 
do you want to start a climb night at your home gym? And at the time we like to go to, it's now Edgeworks Bellevue. At the time it was Stone Gardens. Um, And so we started hosting there. It became apparent that we were very um, organized. We were very experienced in especially outdoor climbing. Uh, Don't get me wrong. We were recreationalists for sure. Uh, Not guides at the time. And so Don and Mariko were like, hey, would you like to develop this branch, this rock climbing instruction branch for climbers of color? So I believe it was end of 2019, Keith and I took the SPI course, the single pitch instructor course, um, and we didn't really know what we were getting into. And it just went from there. We built the entire rock instruction program side of climbers of color from 2019 on, but we started uh, offering programs in 2020. That's cool. So uh, let me summarize this. So you have a mountaineering mm-hmm. uh, sector. Yes. And then you have a rock climbing, more focus on rock yes. sector. And then you also have volunteers to run climb nights in maybe local gyms, say Correct. in the big Seattle area. Yes. Well, Uh, we span anywhere from, I believe we are working on climb night up in Bellevue, uh, excuse me, Bellingham, which is up north, all the way down to Tacoma and even west uh, over in Bremerton area as well. So we've expanded quite a bit over the years. I see. And then uh, those original two, sorry, can you repeat their names? Don Wen. Don Wen. And Mariko Ching. Mariko Ching. Mariko, yeah. And... They are still running mountaineering programs? They are still part of uh, the organization. Mariko has transferred from director of operations to a board member, so they're still involved with a lot of the uh, important aspects of the organization, right, when we have board meetings. Don Wen is currently the director of mountaineering as well, and he's been guiding and doing that entire thing since 2017 and 2018. I see. And then you and Keith were mainly... directing the rock program yes we are not mountaineers <laughs> keith likes to say if there is uh ice is actually for drinks not for climbing um, okay. so if it's snow involved we really don't do it anymore <laughs> well i mean i joking say because i'm mostly guide on rock mm-hmm. too so i yeah. say uh with the climate change we probably don't need to I think it will be gone. (laughs) That's terrible. I know it's terrible, but uh, yeah, but it it could happen, I don't know, in the foreseeing Mm -hmm. future. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I know you're not full time guide. Not by any means. You're you're part time guide. Correct. So, how did you get involved into all the things that say, um, what was your. Well, I like to call it anchor job, then, yeah. which you make the most income from. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So what do you do? For- I'm actually an aircraft mechanic. I specialize in electrical and electronic systems. Um, so I used to work directly on the aircraft. And since I've been kind of promoted to a bench job where I actually refurbish uh, parts for the aircraft. But essentially, I'm breaking down components and looking at wiring diagrams and schematics and resoldering things on circuit boards, etc. Um, which I prefer because I was working graveyard the last uh, seven years that I worked as an aircraft mechanic. But that's my anchor job, right? So it has allowed me a lot of resources, right? I do recognize that. It's also allowed me a lot of time to invest in my own climbing. Uh, Same with my partner. You know, we just went around and did a bunch of 
climbing and traveling and just was everything climbing, right? But we always felt like we wanted to give back to the community and help build a community specifically here in Seattle. My partner and I both do identify as black climbers, right? And there's not a lot of POC climbers in general in the Seattle area, more than there used to be, quite a bit more um, from my personal observations. But when we took the SPI course, like I said, we didn't know what we were getting into. It was the first time I had ever seen an extended anchor and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Why would I use this again? Um, and of course, the instructor graciously was like, well, you know, as a, as a recreationalist, you probably won't use this unless you're climbing somewhere on the East Coast where you have to set the extended anchors to do your top rope, etc. And even that's kind of obscure, right? So it was things that I had never seen before. Um, but we were excited to learn them because it was re- kind of required. And I say kind of because scope of practice hadn't come into the picture yet. So Keith and I had our SPI course and we were allowed to start teaching, whereas now you have to actually be certified to teach, right? Single pitch. Yes and no, I guess. Uh, Because my understanding is that scope of practice only um, if you teach for money, Mm -hmm. then you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then if you do mostly volunteer work, then... Um, you can do a lot of things. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The way that we're structured with the guiding partners, guiding company partners that we had, started to hold us uh, accountable to scope of practice. Okay. Which is, there's a whole nother thing uh, that we've gone around and around with, right? Because we do have our own in-house training that we have developed over the last couple years since having um, built the rock instruction side as well. But to get back to your original question, uh, one day Mariko was just like, hey, you know, you could get paid to help develop this and help um, bring in more climbers of color into rock climbing. And I was like, that actually sounds like something that Keith and I have been looking for to want to do. Right. And so that's kind of how we got into it. I see. We just fell into it. Didn't know what it was. (laughs) So then that's the reason that you took the SPI was that right? Yes. Okay, let me let me try to ask. So I know that in Seattle area, there's this organization called the Mountaineer. Yes, that who has been operated for a long time. Long time. And then their structure is it seems that it will be senior members that goes through also their in-house training and then give lessons to the younger or newer members. Sure. Um, is climbers color like similar in that model or is kind of a little bit different because you also work with guy services? So we are kind of a standalone entity. We're actually fiscally sponsored by the Mountaineers. They've been really gracious with their resources, time, etc. Um, but we run our own things. We're an independent organization, if you will, even with the guiding companies, they've been gracious enough to let us run our own programming and they've been really good, um, really good partners in that sense, right? We do actually have a couple programs, and I'm only going to speak specifically for Rock because I don't want to speak for other branches because that's the one I'm most closely involved with. So we have two things that have come down the pipeline that we started to quickly recognize needed to be implemented in place to kind of build the guiding, build and build upon the skills of the current um, people of color that actually guide in the area or are looking to guide, right? So we have the single pitch instructor partners, what we call it. 
and we take people that have the skills that are either um, that they've got from the SPI course or that they have actually uh, had themselves, right? That skill level of trad, being able to maybe possibly have an interest in teaching these things, being able to lead, etc. And they go through an entire season shadowing one of our guides um, to learn how to teach and of course how to teach people of color. Not to say that it's different, but there are nuances, right, when you're teaching for affinity groups that we need to be aware of, that I think everyone should be aware of. Um, and after that, if they feel like they're ready, and we feel like they're ready, we'll hire them on as a guide to teach seasonally for us as well, right? That's kind of a mentorship for getting people to go through the SPI course, or at least have skills uh, at that level, because we are held to scope of practice, right? You have to be SPI certified in order to teach by yourself. The other program that is actually new this year is what we call the multi-pitch instructor partner. And that's where we actually take people that have a skill level to where they're either going to take the rock guide course or have taken the rock guide course, because then you're aching into teaching multi-pitch, right? Because after you've taken that, you're allowed to teach multi-pitch. And there's more nuances that come with that as well. Um, So we're very happy to have made it to this mentoring level, right, of being able to say, yes, we're going to prep you for the 50 minute rock rescue drill that you might have to that you will see in the rock guide course, but eventually have to take later on down the line. And I can tell you, Ting Ting, if I had had these resources and knew kind of what I was getting into before I took the SPI course, before I took the SPI exam, before I took the rock guide course, I would have felt that much more prepared and probably more comfortable and confident in my abilities. When I saw the rock rescue drill for the first time, I was just like, what is this? Why do I need it? And why should I care? Right. Um, but it, it's it's skills that you kind of need when you're doing multi-pitch stuff. And I totally recognize that. Um, but just being exposed to this stuff, you know, bringing people in just so that they can actually see it. And be familiar with it before they're getting thrown into this course, especially for people of color who feel like they need to be 110%, 120% before they actually take a course that they're learning in. You know, it's not a test. They're learning. Um, but I think I digress. That's yes. Let me ask this question. Yes. So at the very beginning, it was young. So obviously, you need to pull outside resources, for example, like mountaineers or like some help from the existing guiding services. But then perhaps your goal is that eventually, then you will develop enough, say, human resources, then you can run your own programming and also mentor newer guys. Oh, no, we've been doing that. Yeah, okay. The last couple of years. Right. Yeah. And, and what I'm trying to say is because... The way that you start is a little bit different than what, not saying I'm pretty familiar how a guiding service is run, but mm-hmm. uh, they, we all talk about, say, the insurance and permits right. and, um, and, and then those business stuff because originally they are designed to do it for profit. Correct. Right. But then uh, the mission of climate scholars is a little bit different. But right now, yes, there's commercial activity involved, so there's also... SOP is kind of uh, getting there too. Absolutely. And then obviously you want to, not just like a volunteer, you want to be a professional level. So that's kind of a necessary step for the climate scholars to take. Absolutely. Especially since we're a people of color um, participant 
and led group, which means that we do need guides that are competent to be able to lead other people of color out in the field. So we do want professionals, right? We do want to build up their skill level as well. And unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, we have had this support so that we don't have, didn't have to focus on more of the business model. And I say quote unquote, because we are a nonprofit, obviously, due to our partnerships. But in a way, it has also made it so we... We are going to have to enter that realm at some point. We don't operate on our own insurance. We don't operate on our own permits. And that's a whole nother world that takes time, money, effort, energy, resources, right? So I think that would be a huge goal of ours as well as to have our own insurance and permits. Not to say that we don't value our current partnerships. We absolutely do. Um, but in order for us to fully fulfill our mission, then I think it's going to have to come down to that at some point. Yeah, I I will agree. Then you know because you will say from baby to a to teenager, and then you're adult, and you're gonna come out. Yeah, for your own, Definitely. do your own thing. And then you were talking about um your in house training in specific that you train the guys or aspirant guys to in order to lead groups of um, climbers of colors. Yeah. Um, um, how, what, what are those nuances that you yes. were talking about? So uh, I think the biggest example that I can give is I gave a talk at the Mountaineers give, done by climbers of color. Um, we have these sessions called A Seat at the Table where we actually bring in people to talk about certain topics. And I was one of those people that actually made this program. And then I was lucky enough to be able to talk on this subject. And I gave a talk that was called a an outdoor industries guide to the inclusion of black people right so the interesting thing is though i am black i don't speak for all people all black people right i don't speak of all people of color as well because i don't represent every single demographic so really in that instance i really took um my experiences and what makes me feel comfortable and what makes me feel included and like I actually want to continue in the community and try to impart that knowledge upon other people, right? So the specific training that we give at Climbers of Color, we give what we call holding space training, where we try to impart uh, empathetic tools so that we're like, have you had an experience similar to this in the past where you felt not included, where you felt kind of othered, right? And flexing that empathetic muscle to be like, how can I take a step further outside of myself and now help this person to feel included because I know what that feels like and I want to eradicate that, right? And so some most of the talks that we have are based around that. Um, so first we start with what we call DEIJ-based training. We bring in a consultant who comes in and kind of lays the foundation for like different... Um, Different pronouns. And then what I just, or, in, yeah. so DEIJ is diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Justice, correct. Yes, okay, which great. is a big piece of it as well. Um, and so laying the foundation for that first before you can then turn to empathy, because like like you just said, DEIJ, what is that, right? What is LGBTQIA2S+, what is that, etc. Um, 
And so being able to define some of these terms and then talk through certain situations is a big part of that too. And I think it's a piece that a lot of affinity groups may not have just simply because they don't have the resources or the time, or maybe even I'll venture to guess some of them just don't even think they need this type of thing, right? But even within people of color communities, there's always conflicts too. And so us being able to understand one another and hold space for another and be empathetic to one another, I think is a huge tool, even in guiding and outside of guiding, right? And so a lot of that training is focused in on that. And I would love to add like some conflict resolution tools in there as well. Um, because it's hard, right? Doing this affinity work is really difficult. It takes work, it takes education, it takes time and effort and a lot of emotion. Um, so when you say like some conflicts, is like, is there any like example? That yes, you can... I oh, have. Okay. <laughs> I have an example. Yes, uh, at the time of this podcast, right now, it has actually not been. Uh, released yet, but there's going to be a statement from a queer-led group in Seattle that decided to plagiarize an application from Climbers of Color without consent. Um, And it hurt. It really hurt. It is a group that Climbers of Color, we kind of opened our our doors and we were like, yes, you're starting climb nights. Let's host together for QTPOC. Let's, Let's do these things, you know. And for some reason, they took our kindness and our openness as an open invitation to take anything that was public on our website. Okay. Yeah. I don't know about you, but plagiarism is something that we're taught in schools not to do. Right. right because don't copy and paste. If you do. Right. You're going to say where you got it from. They did neither. And so we were very confused and very hurt about this. And conflict can cause people to do a couple things. You go into fight or flight mode. Right. You can fight them. You can flight and you can just be like, you're cut off. We're done. We don't want to be like that. Right. We want to understand where they're coming from. We want to understand why they did what they did. And we want to continue to work with them because division is not the main goal. Division will get us back to square one. True. Right. Yes. We need to work together. And so we sat down. We're like, look, this is what we need from you in order for us to feel seen, validated and um supported right and this is how we're going to define our relationship later on right um because we want to continue to work with you and we want to we value what you're doing because we are stronger together for sure Uh, i will say (laughs) that specific example came to mind because it's current it may not be poc specific but it's affinity specific right they do have uh, POC, people of color, in their organizations, but it is a white-led organization. And I think that's a, an ex- a important fact to also distinguish in how that how that plays out and feels for the people of color whose work had been put into that application, for sure. Whew. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I know. I, I hate conflicts, but sometimes definitely um, you need to resolve those in order to get stronger, for sure. Yeah. Well, we both are like climbers of colors, and well, I should not speak for you, but I certainly recognize the importance of being like inclusive. Sure. And I know that in the guiding industry, the the more tr- well traditional, I don't know whether I should call it, but um, historic. His- okay. <laughs> yeah. Historically. Um, well, many people recognize this important work. Um, some people don't feel that way, but right now, say. 
um, what we're talking about SPI, Single Pitch Instructor, which is the AMGA program, uh, American Mountain Guides Association. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, that there's really no official educational component to say help guides, existing guides to be more inclusive. So um, what do you think that say, if say cisgender white guys, actually even me, I should not say that I don't need those things. (laughs) They want to be a little bit more culturally aware. Um, So because the climbing community is growing. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you're going to meet people that's from different than your culture. Actually, I'm, I meet them all the time. Nice. <laughs> so, because white people, different culture than mine. But yeah. um, where can they find these resources to help themselves and then help with their job? That's a really good question. I'd, I'd say that the first parameter is to give a damn. Can, can I cuss on here? Yeah, They sure. have to give a damn. Right. Like uh, a lot of companies will be like, okay, we're going to have this diversity or what's that word that they use for uh, tolerance training, which I've never loved that that specific word. Yeah. Tolerance, having tolerance for other like cultures and stuff. But to me, that sets a precedence of negativity personally. Um, But it's an interesting thing, right? You have to, again, be empathetic and be like, would I want this to be me? And I think a lot of people take for granted their privilege where they're like, oh, well, it never has to be me, right? And so giving a damn, of course, first and foremost. The next thing I would say is, and that's a tricky one, right? Because like, if you take Climbers of Color Instagram, for example, sometimes we do a lot of educational stuff on there, um, opinion pieces, etc., that are posted up in stories. And I'd say that's a really good place to get an education, our people of color Instagrams or even just newsletters or whatever. However, it's a double-edged sword because Climbers of Color is a space for people of color. And sometimes we will have people that are not in those demographics come up and decide to assert themselves and their opinion, trying to get more of an education, right? We should absolutely, as people of color, not be the one doing the education unless one, we're paid and two, we volunteered to do so, right? Which is not a lot at the times the case, especially on social media. So it's a difficult thing, right? I feel like if you're actually paying attention, there's a lot of resources out there. There's books, there's Google. Google is fantastic, right? And free. <laughs> Google is free. Um, but if you did want an actual formalized education, I'm going to give a shameless plug here for the Outdoor Leadership Accelerator Program by Brenda Holland. Brenda, H-O-L-L-O-N. Uh, here in Leavenworth. She's a long-term guide as well, and she has the foresight to say, okay, guides need this type of training, right? So the AMGA could very well uh, contract with her company and be like, hey, can we offer this training for anyone who wants to go through it, right? Um, And I believe it's a 12-week program, but it's specific days off and on, but you can find more information about it if you just uh, Google OLAP Brenda Holland. And it's a fantastic program. It's a base that I truly believe anyone in the world walking around, not even just guiding, should probably have. But specifically, it's niche in that it does talk about how guiding kind of overlaps with that. It's a fantastic program. I went through it myself, and I think it's 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 worth the time and money. And they do actually have scholarships as well. Awesome. 
So since you have taken that, because a lot of time I think some, well, I'm making assumptions, but I'm assuming that some guys don't give a damn that. We can assume uh, that. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because they think that they, for example, they might have enough clients or mm-hmm. they would never operate within that space. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or they claim that, oh, climbing doesn't discriminate. <laughs> uh, and uh, so they think there's no benefit right. for them. Right. right? So they, they really want to see the benefit. Not just like, oh, I do it for the a good cause. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that reason alone is not going to move people to take actions. True. So I'm, I'm curious, like, if you say the biggest benefit for taking that training, um, can you give me some, like, sounds like maybe an incentive that I'm like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to jump on this opportunity. I don't know, to be a good person. <laughs> that's it. That's always something I think a lot of people strive for. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they don't include racial justice in that. And unfortunately, the way that the U.S. has been structured with redlining and uh, segregated schools, etc., and I'm just going to use white folks, for example, because they're, you know, an easy example, have been segregated out. And it's systemic. It's the way our cities were built. It's the way that they have been insulated and not have that much contact with other cultures, right? That they think being a good person doesn't extend to racism, when in fact that racism is all around them and they don't even see it because of the entire systems around them. So if you want to truly be a good person, it's not going to cost you anything. I mean, it might cost you a little to OLAP, but, you know, it's a good good cause for money to go to. Um, but even just having the experience to to see what it's all about and what is this DIJ thing? Like, how can it benefit me? There's a book out there that's called, I think it's um, White Supremacy is Killing Us, right? And that would be a really good place to start as well. Don't quote me on the book title, but I believe that it was white supremacy is killing us. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm an immigrant, so I can't claim I really understand, so I would go find a book. Like, I'm still trying to understand the racism in the United States because I'm coming mm-hmm. from well, I grew up in Taiwan, and many people just look like me, so yeah. I never thought that that would be a problem when I came to the States. But yeah. definitely, that remind me, say, I know that a lot of bigger companies because all this I say Black Lives Matter and all this movement and all this big events that's on the news so they start to have uh, cultural competency uh, Mm. training within like for example maybe in Seattle all this tech company Amazon, Facebook, Google, whatever or Starbucks Yeah. yeah but there's like research showing that like some people are doing research to see whether is actually be effective. Mm. Yeah. And, and is it? It turns out it's not super effective because <laughs> Well it's a captive audience, right? Okay. They're like, do this or your job. Like again, right. you kinda have to give a damn still. I think that's a very uh important thing mm-hmm. because if you don't have the internal drive, yeah. then you just do it because my work required me to do this training, it's probably not gonna be useful no absolutely not and the guides that we employ at climbers of color they do give a damn 
We yeah. we have talked to them. We've interviewed for people to come in and join our team. And it's people that are passionate about this cause and passionate about having empathy for other people. And they really are invested in wanting to see the participants grow. Right? Yeah. And to you write on that, you say, well, you don't know because um, just want to be a better person. You know, be a good person. I know it's kind of abstract, but I think be nice and be a good person really have a long-term benefit. You think so? I, I do. Like what? I, I don't know. I just think <laughs> that I try to be nice and people seem to be nice to me. That's always good. All right. Yeah. So, And can I say, too, yes. intent versus impact can also be different. You can still oh. consider yourself to be a good person and the intent to be good, but then your impact to also have been negative. If we huh. go back to my example of the plagiarism issue, right? The reason, okay, the reason they took our application word for word, which had been honed for the last, like, I don't know, seven years, right? To make sure that we got the information that we wanted, we had the language exactly the way we wanted, and we edit it and hone it every single year and change it, is because they were running a QTPOC scholarship, and they wanted to make sure they got the language right. And so their intent, right, was that they absolutely wanted to be inclusive, and they wanted to make sure they felt people were seen and they were supported, right? But the impact on it was that they were taking, stealing, if you will, work from a non-binary person of color and myself, a black woman who had put work into that every single year to make sure that it was the best that it could be. So they're trying to be good people, right? But at the same time, their impact was very negative. And in my eyes, it was a, it was a mistake, Right. Not to say that I'm trying to just blanket be like, it was a mistake. We're done. It's over. The relationship's dead. No. Right. People make mistakes all the time. Even in DEIJ, people have gone through the OLAP program, program, the Outdoor Leadership Accelerator program. They still make mistakes. And that's okay. The biggest part about making mistakes, though, is number one, owning up to it. Right. Number two, apologizing if it's warranted. Right. And if it's welcome, <laughs> um, and number three, learning from it and moving on. And once you've learned from it and moved on, but carried that lesson with you, you can do better the next time. So is this conflict resolved? Yeah, or is still ongoing? I would say, I would say they've lost some trust. Absolutely. And so we've set some boundaries with them. We're like, look. Instead of us just being like, hey, can I get this resource from you, eyes on it for free? Because we have, you know, offered them resources and time um, from our staff. They're going to have to go through a more formalized process. So we're not completely just like crucifying them, so, if you, so to speak. We're just like, look, this is what you need to do to rectify this. And please, we're not like that anymore. We are not tight like that anymore. I'm sorry, but it just signaled to us that you're subscribing to a similar system of extraction of resources as the general population. So why would we continue to have this really um, informal relationship with you anymore? I think that we can learn things from each other and we can share resources. But at the same time, when you've stepped over a boundary like that, you cannot let that continue, right? But you can set boundaries while still having a healthy relationship with them and still having both parties benefit. 
True. Wow. But even think about it, I was just like, wow, this is a lot of efforts. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Going into the thing. And let's talk a little bit about your guiding. Sure. Like this season, what did you do? Just this season. Just this season. Just my guiding or mm-hmm. the organization yeah, just, of the guiding? Let's, let's say your guiding and then we can talk about the organization. Okay. Yeah. Yes. This year I've taught intro to multi-pitch, anchors cleaning and repelling, which is one full focus clinic. Um, I've also taught intro to trad. On top of that, I'm kind of our informal like rock team instructor. So I'm teaching the single pitch instructor partners um, like skills and then the nuances of how to teach, etc., and also the multi-pitch instructor partner as well. I feel like I'm missing one in there somewhere. I haven't taught sport or top rope this season. Last season, I, I taught a bunch because we're still kind of building up our team, right? And I think we've gotten a lot more steam this year and that uh, next season I can guide even less. We're hoping, sneak preview for y'all, to add rock rescue, rope rescue course as well, right? We do go a, a little bit over um, rescue scenarios and stuff in intro to multi-pitch. Just some certain things like hauling, you know, and being able to ascend back to your anchor, which I think are very, very important if you're going to be eking into multi-pitch. I don't know about you, but I was scared crapless when I first started multi-pitch because I didn't know how to get people up and I didn't know how to get myself back to an anchor if I passed it on repelling, right? Um, Also, I have shadowed for Climbers of Color's very first single pitch instructor course that you taught for us, actually, that was all by POC here in Washington. And that was really exciting. And thank you again so much for teaching that. The participants were all great and it was just good feels all around, I think. And they really soaked up every single word you had to say, which was a lot of knowledge. <laughs> oh, I'm flattered. Of course. Yeah. Uh, how about the program, though? So the program has grown a lot this year, right? A little bit. Just the courses, course just, list? Just the, the, the organization. Yeah, I'd say a little bit. The Offering the SPI by POC course was a huge step. Right. Um, Also, there is a little bit of cohesion between the branches, whereas this year we offered multi-pitch last year for the first time. Um, So this is my second season teaching it. Right. But it also means that if you go through everything from outdoor bouldering to top rope to anchors, cleaning, repelling, sport leading, trad leading, and then up to multi-pitch, we can kick you out the door and be like, go try alpinism with our mountaineering Right. So we've essentially had this entire path, which I've had the the pleasure, I'm tearing up a little bit, of seeing people go through this entire pipeline as a recreational climber to have soaked up all this knowledge and skills to be able to get to their big objectives that they've they've wanted to tackle, but they just didn't have the skills to. Um, so it's been a really beautiful thing watching that. So it has grown. Do you think right now you have a healthy amount of instructors for the next year? Oh, no. We're always running a deficit. Uh, okay. <laughs> always. And it, it, uh, these past two seasons, it's been me kind of um, uh, substituting. And I know that can't continue, but I... Next and was that yeah. your goal, though, to no. have uh, uh, enough 
Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. It wasn't my goal to substitute all the time. Right. Absolutely. It's We've grown every year, um, and it seems like some days it feels like kind of a revolving door because season to season, people will be out with either like an injury or someone has moved to China, you know, et cetera. Different, different things have keep have had people come in and out. We have had people that have stayed multiple seasons, right? Which is really great. So we're still born... We're still building our core crew, and that takes time, especially with all the trainings that we have. And it's essentially us as an organization building trust with these guide with these guides to be able to interact with our community, right? Not to say they're never going to make mistakes, even I still make mistakes myself, but for them to know how to act appropriately to try to rectify any mistakes that they have made. We try to keep an over, open conversation with the BIPOC community that's like, hey, even though we're instructing you, we're not perfect. So if I make you feel uncomfortable in any way, please let me know and we will hash it out. We'll talk about it and I'll see if I can rectify my behavior. And I think that's that's really needed in any kind of um, instructor to participant relationship. So you have this anchor job, aircraft mechanics. Correct. Okay. And you do mostly summer, I think, here in Seattle guiding. Yes. Yeah. And you also have some personal climbing. And then you some. also <laughs> have to do all this organizational yes. stuff with, within the organization. Yes. How, how do you manage your time and energy? You know, people talk about a work-life balance. It's not ever balanced. It's whatever you're putting your energies to in the moment. And for me, the moment, the last couple of years has been all climbers of color for the most part. So last two years is being really focusing on climbers of color. Yeah, I'd say three years. Okay. Yeah, last three years. Because even before Which we... including the pandemic year too? Yes. I see. So funny thing is, we actually ran programs during the pandemic. We were very careful. It was all outdoor programming. Everyone was masked, even though we were outside. I mean, summer 2020. Tw- summer 2020, yeah. And it was actually the most challenging year that I've ever run programs. It was our first time. We had the pandemic. We had fires that were had smoke everywhere. We had to cancel things. Like, there were so many contingency, contingencies that it, I think it really tightened up our programming for the next couple of seasons. Um, but it was hard. It was it was difficult. And especially since the POC population can be subject to certain situations in the health industry, um, you know, with the fact that either they don't think that they're as sick as they are in the case of black folks when they go to seek medical attention, etc. Um, then and that's a whole nother conversation, then we decided to try to be extra careful. So do we did actually cancel quite a lot. And we had no climb nights inside at all for, I think, about a year. It was really difficult. And so continue on the work like, uh... yes, so it's whatever's in the moment for me. And like I said, the moment is climbers of color. And I, I put it's practically like a second job. For me, it really is. I don't actually get paid for it. I only get paid when I go out and instruct, and that's fine. That's the path that I've actually taken. So Um, you mean that with uh, the organization work is more like volunteer? It is all volunteer for me, absolutely. We've grown to the point that we do have some staff we're able to provide stipends for, but I have not taken a stipend for my position of director of rock instruction. Yeah. In that case, what's the vision? I mean, as far as I know, there are a lot of, say, outdoor educators or guys that they start with this passion. 
um, and which is beautiful. And but then at some point, maybe you will say, "Wow, I'm working a lot. <laughs> I still have the passion, but certainly you might have other priorities than start the phase. Oh, maybe I need to be compensated a bit more, or maybe I need to reduce my workload on this non-pay job. So and yada yada and all that. So what's your vision that I I know that you're very passionate about it right now. So I'm just curious because I know that this year you hire a new person to take the director. Yes. 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 I'm letting mm-hmm. go of our creation, which is hard. Okay. But at the same time, I totally trust. It's Sophia Petros. And she's great. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Sees the vision as well. The difference being that since um, we are an organization that has grown, we are going to be able to at least compensate them for their time, which is fantastic. Um, But, you know, as far as the vision, I don't see, I never saw myself doing this for more than a couple years. But as the, the, the demand has kind of grown for it, I've stuck with it. Right. And I never thought I'd find someone that would be able and willing to take on all this work and be passionate and see eye to eye and with what I have for a vision. And granted, that might change for them a little bit. And that's perfectly fine. Um, organizations should change with their vision, etc. But for me personally, I'm going to be stepping down as director as of 2024. Sophia Petros will be taking So next my year pot. you won't be the... No, I will seat. not be the director. Um, it's bittersweet, right? Because we are coming into our own. We're getting more resources. We're doing more programming, right? But at the same time, I am exhausted. And every other, every single affinity group leader I talk to, they are exhausted as well. <laughs> like, it's just the name of the game. And it's really unfortunate because it means we're not fully validating ourselves and giving ourselves... Um, time and permission to develop like our own personal climbing. Like I don't climb as hard as I did a couple years ago. I'll admit it. I'm more doing desk work now, Um, which is hard. It's hard on the ego, right? It's hard because then you're like, oh, this was kind of like my form of say therapy or something. And you just don't have time for it. But I've chosen this path. And so it's a little bittersweet. But at the same time, I would like to be the person that teaches the people how to teach the participants, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Great. So the the goals that I have for myself personally, and I guess I haven't said it out loud that much to that many people, and one, I guess because I'm slightly afraid, um, and two, afraid that it might not happen or pan out, right? Um, and two, I, I like a surprise element where I'm like, guess what, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I'm actually taking my multi-pitch instructor course this September, so it's next month of 2023. Um, and that will, after I've graduated from that, hopefully, uh, that will put me on the path to be able to apply to possibly be an SPI provider, um, which I think would be phenomenal for the organization, right? So that we are able to train guides how we want them to be trained um, and enter that conversation of that cycle of consent and conflict resolution, et cetera. Um, and then just make it that much more accessible. Like, for example, the S- BIPOC SPI course that we ran this past, what, month, um, we were able to supply all gear for any participants that needed it. And I don't think AMGA courses do that. I have never seen no, them do they, that. No, uh, they 
bring their own gear. Exactly. And I think that's just another level of barrier of entry, unfortunately, right? Um, not to say that they can't get their own gear and everything. Maybe they can't in the moment. Maybe they did like what I've done for years and just supplemented with my friend's trad racks, right? Maybe they're doing affinity work and they they want to volunteer, etc. Anyways, we could go that, down that rabbit hole, but we won't. Um, and so just running things a little bit differently. And I think SPI provider is another access of unlocked power in the guiding realm. Right. And I would, I would love to go down that path. I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have what it takes to be an SPI provider, but I'm gonna put my name in the hat at some point. (laughs) I mean, if you need any help, uh, feel free to let me know. Thank you. I'll see what I can help. Thank you. That means the world to me because just having the support and someone like you to be able to tap into for resources is really, really grateful for it. Thank and you. And then you know I'm I'm lonely. Oh, are you? <laughs> I know there's not that many um, female or trans or non-binary um, SPI providers. Do you know how many there are? Uh, I do not. I will have to ask Andrew, who is managing the SPI and CWI programs, for the complete list. Mm. I know the, of one other person of color, women of color. Okay. And then you, and that that's all I know, actually. Yeah, it's not that many, that, that I can guarantee you. Yeah. Not that many. Okay. Well, and the other thing is, and I think we've talked about this before, it... It's an immense privilege, but also an immense weight that I think I'll be the first black woman. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have see, the stats in front yeah, of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. Well, and I don't know if the AMGA actually collects those stats. And okay. So here is another issue that I'd like to talk about. Okay. You and I have talked about this because I think when we started talking about your podcast, I thanked you for recording this history, right? Because people sometimes don't have it recorded or they don't know, right? Um, so for example, during my, uh, affinity work that I did for aircraft maintenance, which is where I actually got my start in affinity work, um, I was trying to get all women to do certain activities, right? And one of them was like a competition and we were like, oh, we're going to have an all women's team go and do this competition. And so I asked the organizers who have been there since the inception of this competition, how many women of color all, uh, sorry, how many all women's teams have there been that's gone through this? And they're like, oh, none. I'm like, wow, we're the first ones. That's amazing and sad and exciting and sad. Um, but then two years later, another women's team comes through and they're like, we're the first ones. And we're like, whoa, no, actually, we're the first ones. And then, no, it gets worse, Ting Ting. And then another group was like, actually, we were the first ones 10 years ago. And I was like, okay, wait, so the powers, I guess the lesson to take away here is the powers that be that run these huge organizations that don't actually give a crap about other histories, don't record, and they don't even pay attention. It goes back to giving a damn, right? They didn't Uh, give a damn enough to be mm. like, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to log that in my brain that there was already that activity done. Obviously, they were not, excuse me, not that um, impressed by it. So similarly with the, um, the SPI provider, like the AMGA, do they have stats on it? If they do, is it broken down by race? You know, do they do they put enough stock in that to be able to track that? Because I would... 
I would hate to be like, I'm the first when I'm actually not because I want to honor someone else's history in that. I'm okay with not being the first, but... Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not, definitely not the first provider of color, that's for sure. Yeah. Who was the first? I, that I don't know, but oh. I do know that uh, there are other yes. uh, providers of color. I do know two of them here okay. in Washington. Oh, no, one's Oregon, one's Washington. But they're both men, too. And I'm also still not sure that I'm the first woman of color. So, mm. Because I just don't have the stats and I don't have the data. And I don't think they actually ask us to fill out any race demographic stuff yeah information so they probably cannot be sure you can just read people's name and guess yeah that's true right yeah so uh, i do have a very asian name (laughs) (laughs) sometimes they also doesn't mean that i'm that race (laughs) that's true that's true um so i don't really think there's an official record Mm, yeah so in terms of history unless uh we told them it's important. Yeah. Otherwise, we might not really know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's that, yeah. something to be celebrated, mm-hmm. right? Not to say, be like, oh, MJ, you're doing a bad job. You haven't had <laughs> these certain demographics. It's just something to explore and celebrate mm-hmm. sometimes, which would be a really nice thing. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it's not given the weight that it should sometimes, which is what I feel like your podcast is also doing, is it's giving voice to those that that haven't been able to share their stories or yeah yeah and just like uh during the spi course i told the students that i think spi uh is a very important job because spi introduced climbing to a lot of first-time climbers absolutely so that's like the image they would see yeah so if the representation is a little say bias so then that's probably their first impression yeah. and which would be would not be beautiful so it's kind of nice that you know if you want to become an spi provider and then the, the new spi would see a representation of a different demographic then it's i think it's just a, a beautiful thing and yeah. and then eventually we don't even care about who's first because there'll be yeah. so many of us yeah that's the dream right yes. like the dream is not to have to have climbers of color the dream is not to right. have um affinity programs because people are willing to have those conversations about conflict and mm-hmm. acknowledge systems of oppression etc right yeah and be able to celebrate just uh just wins so in terms of your, say guiding path because you just mentioned that you like to teach people how to teach mm-hmm. so it, it makes sense to me that you want to be a SBI provider yeah do you ever think about you want to be like guy guide like, <laughs> uh, which i meant of yeah. say like for example i'm a rock guide and yeah maybe a ski guy or the mountain guy or alpine guy or that type of thing yeah because you certainly have your anchor job in this organization it yeah. could be a little too much on the play i don't know you think? I think so. I mean, I've been offered jobs at other guiding companies, um, and I just don't relish the idea of guiding cisgender white males. <laughs> and you mentioned that you you don't have the intention, not saying that you totally exclude the possibility, but you don't have the intention to teach non-affinity programs. No, I don't. I think part of it is protection for myself because for example in my job it's 99% cisgender white men right and I'm not seen as competent a lot I'm not seen as the person to go to even though I feel like I go above and beyond to be like 
have my stuff dialed in because I have to know it, mm-hmm. right? People have said to me, oh, there's women in the industry and they're either really, really bad or they're really, really good. We're not allowed to be mediocre. There's not enough of us to oh, have the allowance to be mediocre, which is really you, upsetting. You mean you either have to be exceptional yep. or you must well just be hiding in the dark, you say. Pretty much, okay. yeah, huh. which is really unfortunate. Actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> there's a whole other conversation. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a book, too, I can recommend cool. after this, yeah. too. Um, yeah. Do you remember the title? Oh, gosh. Uh, anyway. It's The Legacy of the Mediocre White Male, I believe. Legacy of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you already know what it's about, right? <laughs> um, yes, very good book. I can't remember the author off the top of my head. I believe they're in Seattle, too, but it's very good. But it does okay. talk about how if you're a minority in a space, you're not allowed to be mediocre. Like, you're either just a total screw-up, apparently, if you're mediocre, Ooh. or you have to be at 110%. Then maybe right? I, can I be proud that maybe I'm exceptional? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's good to be exceptional, right? right? Um, but it can hinder a lot of um, a lot of risk-taking for us as well. Oh, that is right? true, yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you can put ego out of the line. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And then it's hard to have those conversations, too, where it's like, I messed up. Can I get some help? Right. So with that in mind. It's nice to have some uh, vulnerability. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to be vulnerable in those spaces. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'd be leading more with ego if I guided outside of affinity spaces because I'm already coming from a place of defense. And I already have to come from a place of defense in my own regular nine to five job, which I love. Don't get me wrong and i have people and allies that i do feel like i can depend on but it's it's lonely it's hard Mm -hmm. it's difficult and i sure i have self-pity parties with cake you know on fridays sometimes (laughs) (laughs) don't we all um but if i was to do that in my guiding too i think it would just be emotionally too much for me at this point in time not saying i'm totally closed off to it but it's just emotionally draining for me some days especially since and I think I've posted about this on Instagram the last two years whenever I've guided um I get I get drilled at the crag at least I used to this season hasn't been as bad maybe it's because I'm teaching less but I'd always have these people come up to me and they want to know who I'm with what my certs are (laughs) I'm serious what I'm guiding you know and I just feel like I'm not certain that they do that grill with other people. Huh. Yeah. And it was like almost every single time I was out guiding, it would be some other white guide, usually male. Actually, no, all male. (laughs) (laughs) And they just like question. And I think it's it's a number of things, right? I don't look like a guide. I'm actually a bigger bodied person, right? So I'm not, I don't look, I don't appear to be super, super climber statuesque. why, Why do they do that? What do they want to know? credential checking is what they call it they just want i think they're curious i think their biases may not um allow them to stretch their mind as far as to be like they're a guide they're obviously teaching that what they're saying sounds competent and coherent like they've taught it before so curiosity yeah that's fine but at the same time i feel like you can overstep that boundary a little bit where it starts to get rude where you're like what are you really asking me yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I I don't know what they their intent. I can assume. So. I don't know. We mm-hmm. can assume, and I, you can drive yourself crazy over right. it, which I have some days. But others, I'm just like you know, and 
I'm just tired and I'm just going to either answer their questions um, and just try to stay cordial because you are the guide on the trip. You have to have your crap together and be um, cordial to be able to share the space with other people. And maybe that's not the time to pick that battle. Right. right? Which can be emotionally difficult as well. I do know that sometimes people will ask you credential and then ask you whether you... That's because the guiding space there is competitive. Interesting. Yeah. So, for example, there's some areas the permit is easy. Mm-hmm. So, there would just be a lot of guys in the same space. Yeah. And then, typically, you want to work with other group. But then, they also think that, well, are you like pirate guiding? So then <laughs> What is pirate guiding? means that you don't operate within your scope of practice. Oh, interesting. So, is it up to these... They can people. report you. Oh, I see. Yeah. So they're looking to report me. Then, then. Oh gosh. Then, then they maybe can eliminate the uh, the competition. Oh wow, that's terrible. But the that thing, is terrible. The thing I certainly follow SOP, and I understand that the reason behind it. Yeah. Um. And, uh, but there's pirate guiding going on because um, sometimes some areas. The, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get the permit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Leavenworth. <laughs> and then, so there will be some clients that, say, for example, your long-time clients say, oh, yeah, Tintin, I really want to go climbing Yosemite. Say, can oh. you take me there? I say, I can't because if mm. I take you there, I'm pirate guiding because there's only one guiding service can operate there. Mm. And they don't let people get guide. So even I'm willing to pay them, I can't, they won't say yes to me. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's an ongoing thing that hopefully AMG is working on at Washington, D.C. Um, access issue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But as you can see, anything like that, that scale is going to take a long time. Yes, absolutely. So right now, i just like, you know, I just can't take you to Yosemite. So if they're not following scope of practice, who do they are they reporting it to? So the thing is, there's really no true... Um, yeah, the AMGA police or what? I, I, <laughs> yeah, something like that. So I don't actually know whether the AMGA can, like revoke your search. Yeah, I mean, what can they do? So, that... I you don't, don't... You technically don't need scope of practice for your own insurance, so you could still be... Right, so right now, the, the, the guiding space... Because I got asked this question, I, I have to answer when I teach SPI. So, yeah. I say, well, once you get to a certain level, then I don't have the answer. So, that now right. to have to talk to somebody who might know the answer. Right, interesting. Yeah, so, uh, but that's... That's out there because I've yeah. heard people being checked on their credentials. Say, why are you here? Do you have the permit? Can you operate here? Goodness. Yeah. Wow. So it might not because, uh, say, your identity as a black woman. Yeah. Um, it could be anything. And then right now. Yeah, the speculation will drive you nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless yeah, you yeah. ask them outright. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are really curious, you just have to ask on the spot, why do you ask this question? Okay. Otherwise, yeah. because um, this one SPI program I did in, um, in Red Rock, mm-hmm. and then my participant, it's an all-women course. Oh, yeah. And then my participant feel like they've been watched by these two men. Oh, gosh. Awkward. And then 
so I just thought, say, why are you watching? Yeah. They say, oh, we are taking another ANG course. We're just curious about what this program is. Okay. And I was like, well, you're a little bit too close. Uh, yeah. And so sometimes you just have to ask and tell them that maybe you should leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good call. Set those boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I do struggle with setting boundaries sometimes. Yeah. And I do think it comes from a place of survival where I'm like, oh, am I going to get in trouble for this? How much is too much to just be like, hey, you need to leave us alone? Because at the end of right. the day, the safety of the participants of these people of color ends with me. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And or when I just start guiding, I feel the same way. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like working a lot in my head, but then I don't speak up. And yeah. But then... That, what you just said, the responsibility of my participant made yeah. me just like, you know what, I'm just gonna say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my participant, they were even more worried than <laughs> if I don't do something, then who yeah. is gonna protect them? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it yeah. goes both ways. Like yourself, how much crap are you willing to take on right. versus how much are you willing to, to dole out for your participants? And I'll be honest, I'm willing to dole out more crap. Um, on to protect my participants than myself. And that's a whole nother conversation too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I'm on the same page. Sometimes like, if it's just me, if me is the only person who is involved, then I might just drop the bat or just say whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I have my students or participants yeah. in line, then there will be a different story. And yeah. sometimes, this one time I regret I didn't stand out a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, and I still remember that incident not saying that i can go back in time to fix that but it was a learning experience for me right learn yeah. it move on take yeah. the, the mm-hmm. valuable lesson yeah. with you mm-hmm. sure so um my experience is always okay i got a good reason and usually taking that step is always worse for me so far mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah sorry you had to go through those things <laughs> yeah i'm sorry it's a little bit uh kind of taking away from you. No, it's a sharing space. Yes. Definitely. And I'd like to ask you right now, since I'm, this is episode 13, it's like a new page that yeah. I'd like to ask you like big questions is, you know, looking back uh, with your guiding work, even just the um, organization, because I think that's part of your guiding work. Yeah. And what's your most proud accomplishment or a moment or stuff yeah i've i'd have to think long and hard about that and i think i'm going to give a general answer sure seeing as how my role has kind of come to be rock team instructor where i'm teaching you know people how to teach i like to watch the evolution of people's minds and skills mind minds can you elaborate yeah so like Say you're teaching someone how to do the MMO, the Munter Mule overhand, right? And you're like, okay, you're going to do it in this very specific way. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. The way that I do it may not mesh with someone else's mind or learning style or skills, etc. It might be brand new to them or maybe they're just still fumbling through it a little bit. So being able to see how I can change my teaching so that they can further understand it... um, is really interesting to me. And so I feel a lot of joy and pride when I'm able to teach something to someone and they understand it, not in the way that I think they should be learning it, but in the way that makes sense to them, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think as a good 
instructor, educator, or teacher say? I mean, that's something that we pay attention to. Yes. Yeah, because the ultimate result is we want them to get it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And we're not all going to get it in the same way. Mm-hmm. And the, there's value in being able to teach things in different ways too. And there's also ego has to do with it a little bit, where their person's just like if they're struggling, you can see the wheels turning. You know, sometimes it'll be self talk is worse as bad as oh, I'm just really dumb. I can't get this. Where it might just be the way the information has been presented just needs to be tweaked a little bit for them to actually understand it. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you dumb. It just means that your brain works Definitely. in a little bit of a different way. And being able to um, impart that wisdom upon newer guides coming in, I think, is very important. Not only for accessibility for people who are disabled, but even just the general population, because everyone is different, right? It takes more work and effort to be able to、um, teach in different ways and be on your toes and change that. But I just really enjoy when people the light bulb goes off and you're like, "Yes, you got it." You're still gonna have to like, you know, practice this, and that's okay. But I see that you understand it, awesome, and you、yes. can take that and carry it on with you. And then to see them, you know, translate it to bigger objectives and stuff. I really, really enjoy that. Yeah, you know, that's a broad answer, but that's... no. I mean, I think <laughs> as a good teacher, that's always you know you want to be proud of them. Yes, yes. absolutely. Great. That which also means that you notice if you notice those moments, you adjust to it. You're a great teacher. Oh yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and how about what we've been talking about? Well, slightly over an hour now. So if、mm. you know. People sometimes listen to a podcast like they might enter into the space at different time frame、yeah. and stuff. If you hoping that the audience just have like remember one thing from this mm-hmm, episode, mm-hmm. what what do you think the biggest takeaway you want people to take away?、Um, I would say that it's all a process. Oh, process, right?、Um, seeing as how I am a mechanic. <laughs> And an educator of sorts slash guider guiding person, right? Everything's process. Like even what we just talked about, there's a certain process. You see an issue because someone's not getting it. You change the way that you need to approach this, right? Same thing for DEIJ. Process. You have made a mistake. You've offended someone. You've excluded someone, right? The next step is like we talked about, trying to make some kind of amends with it, trying to learn from it, etc. It's all about process, and you can you can really take away a lot of、um, a lot of lessons just by going through whatever process it is to get the outcome that you're trying to achieve. That's my mechanical brain thinking for sure. Nice, <laughs> I like the process. I, I mean, do too. Definitely, you know you. Like to achieve a certain goal, but it's always the process that you remember the most. Absolutely, that's、yes. where the learning and growing、mm-hmm. really hits home, right? Yeah, I know the climbers of color is growing, and、mm-hmm. I can see it's gonna grow、mm-hmm. and grow. And definitely, you say you volunteer a lot of times, so I bet that you still need like supports, you know, right? So what、yeah. what kind of support that you hope that you might, you know, if somebody. Listening, you say, "What kind of support you you're hoping that people can offer?" Ooh, that's a good one.、Um, well, I would like 
to first and foremost thank my partner for all the support and patience that he has because there's a lot of times that I do neglect our relationship for climbers of color, um, which is my own personal choice and stuff that we have to work through, right? So thank you to him. Um, but also, I don't, I don't know. I think... Personally, for me, the biggest hurdle that I can think of right now is my multi-pitch instructor course, right? I'm in this weird space where I'm in a position of power at Climbers of Color, right? Okay. But then at the same time, I'm also in a position where it's like I'm privileged with my income. But at the same time, multi-pitch instructor course is expensive. Right now, how, how, can I ask you how, what's forty five hundred dollars for how many days? Uh, I think it's eight days. Wow! Yes, okay. it's yeah. all the way in New Hampshire, and then you have to travel. I have to travel. Yes, I have to get lodging. I have to have food. All mm -hmm. together, I'd say it's about six grand. And Did not you apply for the. They, I think they have some scholarship. I didn't get it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Apparently, being the first black SPI provider possibly is not enough motivation to get a scholarship because <laughs> uh, I did put that in there but that's okay mm -hmm. um, I did get I'd like to cl thank Climbing for Change because they did give me a grant oh, for okay. it yeah yes. and of course Climbers of Color has also put a little bit of money in the pot too but you know I'm always open to <laughs> this just sounds terrible because I do have a good anchor job right and I am privileged but I'm always open to any kind of donations to go towards that because I've asked brands I've asked outdoor brands Would you like to sponsor me for this? Would you like to help pay for the cost for what it is that I'm trying to achieve here? And I've got came up empty-handed beyond those two organizations. So you can always Venmo me. I'll take it right now. <laughs> uh, but support for climbers of color in general. If you're a person of color, just be. Take that joy. Take that time to just be yourself, your culture, whatever it is, bring it into the outdoors, have fun with it, right? Play around. If you are someone that's looking to be an ally, be it white or a person of color to other people of color, right? Process, learning, mistakes, um, taking that learning with you, right? To take it all in and just be, have some grace with yourself, but also strive for that change. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Crystal. And I know I'll climb as a college Instagram and website. Yes. So I'll put it on the show now. Anything, any link that you want to put in there? Um, there's one more. I also have run a blog. Okay. It's called Rock Rose Blog. Um, and that actually ha has a critical look at a lot of BIPOC policy and climbing, the intersection of all three whenever it comes across those things. Um And that's all free as well. But I like to, to put people over there. Like my main Instagram is kind of like the good life, like climbing and everything that and intersects with that. And she asks your personal Instagram. Yeah, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, a rose mm -hmm. on the rock. Um, but then Rock Rose blog is a, my opinion that comes out a little bit more because everyone needs a little outlet for either their anger or the injustices that they see in kind of analyzing these things, right? Um Uh, is how I kind of deal with certain situations that I've come up against. But also, if you are a major organization, company, whatever, that has funds that you would like to give to Climbers of Color, you can go to climbersofcolor.org slash donate. And we uh, are a 501c3 nonprofit 
through the Mountaineers, of course, but it goes directly to us if you go to that webpage. And we're also open to donations um, for, you know, initiatives like uh, trying to get our own insurance, et cetera, and keeping these programs alive and well for um, bringing people of color into the outdoors and teaching people how to bring other people of color into the outdoors as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Crystal, for uh, taking this time. Thank you, uh, Ting Ting. Yeah, what you're uh-huh. doing is very important. <laughs> First of all, best of luck for your, uh, to your multi-pitch <sighs> thank instructor you. course. Yes, thank you. And then I think I will see you next summer. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. Bye.